So before we start, I'd like to pray. Father, I ask you to help me be a blessing to whoever's listening, who's ever watching. Lord, you've taught me a lot, and there's still more. There is so much more about the, the ingredients that go into the life of the Christian. Now, we already have you. We already are victors. Uh, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We already have everything we need to finish our course, to stay faithful. But a lot of a lot of Christians don't stay faithful. And I think it's there's because there's confusion and there's very little investment in our walk with you. So, Lord, just teach us these things that were present in the life of the Apostle Paul so they become present in ours as well. And I pray that anybody listening to my voice and they've never got into the Christian life, they've sat on the sidelines, they've waited and waited and neglected and neglected. I pray that as they look at the world changing, they would be convinced that there is somebody in charge. And one of these days, he's going to come back. And no matter how dark and how rough this gets, that's the devil and that's the Antichrist. We have the Lord Jesus Christ who's coming back and he's the one we have to deal with. He's the one we have to worry about. Lord, would you please convince somebody this morning after this message or even during the message to just believe on Jesus, to understand what Jesus did for them and then receive them into their hearts and be born again. God, I pray for somebody to get saved from this and a whole bunch of us to get excited about finishing the course. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so there's seven things that I just, when I looked at Acts chapter 20 and I looked at Paul talking to the church at Ephesus, he, there's, there's loads and loads of things that just jump out at you that make you realize, all right, something, Paul's got something that enables him to just keep going on because when he comes in Acts chapter 20, he's already been in prison several times. He's already been stoned and, uh, uh, and that's not drug wise. He's already been um, hated and chased out of towns and cities. He's already gone through hard stuff and he says, I'm going to keep going. So let's see how to finish well. So I'm going to give you, I'm going to look at four scriptures, three right up the first here. If you'll look at Acts chapter 20 and uh, verse 22 to 24. Acts chapter 20, verses 22 to 24. I'm going to find it myself here. One chapter over. 22 to 24. Now, behold, Paul says, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem not knowing the things that shall befall me there. I don't know what's ahead of me. Save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy. And the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. There's the Apostle Paul here, about five years before his death, and he's speaking to that church at Corinth, and he's saying, I, I, none, nothing that somebody will tell me about what's ahead of me is going to stop me from finishing. Uh, now I need you to go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, far to the right, just for Hebrews, you'll get to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. Here's at the end of his life. This is about five years later. He's been basically in prison every, every day, almost every day since that time that he spoke to the church at Ephesus. And look what he says in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. Now, he wasn't boarding a flight for a holiday. 
He was leaving this world. He says, verse 7, I have fought a good fight. I have finished. Remember, he wanted to finish. He now says, I have finished my course and I have kept the faith. Now, why? Why would Paul put up with everything in his life and yet still keep want to keep going? It was because he looked forward to hearing seven words from his Savior. Seven words, that's all he wanted to hear. Seven of the most important words that any human could ever hear. And that's found in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 and verse 21. <clears throat> Jesus is telling the story of a future event when we're going to stand before him as, as, as his children and as his servants. And in Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said to him, look at these seven words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those are seven of the most important words you'll ever want to hear. You do not want to hear, depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. That's your choice. But here's Jesus saying, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things. You say, well, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a children's church teacher. I've never done anything great. Have you been faithful over the few things that God gave you to do? How about the kids you've got? How about the husband? How about the job? How about the testimony you have? What about the life that you have? Are you wasting it on drink and smoking and on um, uh, all the sins of this world? Be faithful. He says this, thou has been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. So in the end, Jesus is going to reward my faithfulness and your faithfulness with amazing joy. Uh, one more scripture. And I'll put it up here. It's our main verse for the entire year. Go to the right. Find Philippians chapter 3. And we started off with this scripture this year. And I hope we finish with it. Philippians chapter 3. Verse 13. Brethren, two verses here. I count not myself to have apprehended. I haven't grabbed. I haven't gotten what I'm reaching for. But this one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is a prize, an award, a reward for effort, personal sacrifice when you live for Jesus Christ. Heaven is a gift, all right? But everything after that is a prize. And you, you, your, your life matters. What you do, what you put up with matters to God. He sees every tear. As a matter of fact, he collects it. And he sees every grief. He sees every scar. He takes note of it. When, he, when you give it unto him, when you put up with it for him. So four scriptures there. And the apostle Paul here is so desperately wanting to finish well. And he gives that testimony back there in Acts chapter 20 because he's asking us to do it. He says, don't you want to finish well? Do you want to be at the end of your life bitter or blessed? Do you want to be happy? Do you want to finish what God saved you to do? Somebody says, but what about all my failures? Yeah, every one of us can speak of failures. Every one of us can talk about, for, till the cows come home, we can talk about our failures. But failure is never fatal 
uh, even though it feels like it. Failure doesn't work in God's plan. See, there is no failure in God's plan, only quitters. Failure is not a, not a thing that stops us. It's a, it slows us down, yes. It may change some things, that's where we're flexible, but it's not the end. Somebody says, but no one notices what I put up with. Nobody knows the heartache that I endure. Nobody even appreciates the little things that I do. Well, I tell you this, somebody did notice. His name's Jesus. He notices everything. Remember, he says, you've been faithful over a few things. I know what you were faithful over, and I'll put you in charge of big things and, 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 and important things in the future. Now, what, what if we struggle just to get through every day? Whether it's health, whether it's family problems, job situations. What if we struggle? Well, Jesus will reward you for that. That's what he promises. Even though we're worn out and tired, Paul says, Though my flesh is worn out, my inner man is renewed every day so that I can keep going. Romans chapter 8. Go back to the left. Find Romans chapter 8 in verse 18. Romans chapter 8 in verse 18. Paul is letting his Texan out. He says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So whatever you're putting up with, whatever sufferings you're going through, Paul says it's not worthy to be compared. You can't compare. You will so quickly forget about everything you had to endure now when you reach heaven and you see what Jesus has in store. I have not seen, ear have not heard, neither has it entered even into the heart of man what God has prepared for them that love him, just love him. Wouldn't you like to finish well? I know I do. I knew. Because here's the point, folks. Success is not everything. I know Bill Gates would like to tell you that. But success is not everything. Mark Zuckerberg will tell you that. He gets The more money he makes, the more in trouble he gets. The more power he gets, the more he's called into question. Success is not everything. You know what is everything? Faithfulness. Faithfulness is everything to the Christian. So let's go back to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, and real briefly, I just want to give you the background on this thing. And it says 18 and 19, but I want you to actually start back in verse 17. We're going to read these verses again. We read them every time. But Acts, 7, Acts 20, verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus. And he called for the elders of the church. He couldn't call for everybody because it would have been 30,000 people trying to mob and get together around with Paul. Verse 18, when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know, from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. We talked about this. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations, which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. They were trying to kill him. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit. I cannot not finish, he says. I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me, but none of these things, none of the future bonds or afflictions move me. They won't move me. They cannot stop me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself anymore, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry. 
which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So the Apostle Paul is saying goodbye to those Christians at Corinth, uh, sorry, at uh, Ephesus. And as far as he was concerned, uh, he wasn't gonna ever going to see him again. And I don't believe he ever did get to see those Christians. And these were dear family to him. Every one of the churches that he started, every Christian, every person he got, he led to Christ, or every Christian he met was family to him. And he would have loved to just stay. But he had to move on. And he... He says to them, I'm determined to finish well. I don't want to shipwreck. He was concerned about it too. He said, I don't want to end up cast away. I don't want to end up shipwrecked like Hymenaeus and Alexandrus. I don't want to blow the Christian life that Christ bought for me and gave to me. He's determined to finish well. And he's challenging all of those Christians, especially those leaders, to themselves finish well. And by putting it into scripture and by us reading it 2,000 years later, it's a challenge to us to finish well. So there are seven ingredients, and I've talked to you about four of them. I'm going to give you two more today. I'll leave one more for next week. The best one of all, just hold on to your hats here. There are things, seven things that, um, that every Christian, I shouldn't say Christ, I'm sorry, every Christian needs to do to finish well. Number one, so far I've taught you that we need consistency. I mean, if you just get consistent, if you would just learn to go to bed at a consistent time and get up at a consistent time, you say, how is that spiritual? You have no idea how important that is to have a consistent schedule so that you can fit in and make sure you read your Bible. If you have no schedule, you're not going to read your Bible because you're going to be haphazard all day long. If you had consistently good food, being consistent. Paul said, you know my manner of life from day one that I was in season, out of season, I was the same. Develop some consistency. When church is allowed to open, you ought to be here every time it's open. Don't ever neglect that. Ever again, we should never neglect. Now, we're not open seven days a week where you have to be here. But when we are open, you ought to have the consistent habit, a right habit. We're going to be at church, kids. Our church comes before our sports. Our, our, our worship comes before whatever's on television or whatever. Consistency. I taught you also about ministry. Paul, had he had a desire to serve. He served everybody. Didn't matter who they were. He saw everybody as somebody above him, better than him. Somebody who was worthy of, of coming in low and washing their feet and serving them and sacrificing whatever he had for their benefit. Do you have a ministry? Are you willing to humble yourself and work with kids? You're willing to work with, with teenagers or with adults? Um, I always find kids are the easiest to work with. Adults, that's another story. When, when it comes to ministry, do you have something that you do just for Jesus Christ? You, you need that. You're not going to finish the Christian life well if you're not doing something for the Lord. That keeps you on track because you know what you're doing. And you know it's for Jesus. It, it, it encourages you. It drives you forward. Number two, three, humility. Paul says there in um, verse 19, he says, serving the Lord with all humility of mind. Uh, Paul had a mind completely empty of self-centeredness, self-importance. He thought of himself as lower than other people. That didn't mean that he thought of himself as, as trash. He just said, you know what? That person's more important than me. I'll give up this to make sure that they're okay. Make sure they're blessed. He humbled himself. He lived a life of humility. And that's a hallmark of Christianity, isn't it? Then last week I ended with this thing. 
tenderness. Let's have a soft heart. What do I mean by that? I mean, don't, don't, don't be effeminate if you're a man, but be tender. Be hurtable. You, you try to help somebody and they just reject you. Don't punch them. You got to have a tender heart. They're probably on their way to hell. Do you really want to encourage them to walk away and, and think that Christians are not, not what they say they are? I mean, we're like Christ, aren't we? Where we take, the, take it on the other cheek. So be hurtable. Allow people to take advantage of you. You may go home and Paul himself, he says, with tears, temptations. He had a struggle. And, and if, we have a, if we have a heart, we'll have compassion. People will see beyond the outside and they'll see your heart. They might listen to what you have to say. That's always my challenge. Because I always wonder, why aren't people listening? It's probably because they can't see my heart. So let's, let's try to deal with two more this morning. Two very important things. Number five, intensity. Trying to, get, trying to boil this down to one word at a time is pretty important for us to get these things. He says there in, uh, uh, we'll pick up there in verse 20 and 21. Paul goes on, he says, how I kept back nothing. Hold, look at those words. I held back nothing that was profitable unto you. I gave you everything that was beneficial to you. And I have showed you and have taught you publicly and even from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what you see there is intensity of life. Paul didn't just preach. As, as important as it is, I mean, I love what I do. I mean, this is the greatest. I would never step down to be president, prime minister, Taoiseach. That's a secondary job. This is the most essential job on the planet, the preaching of the gospel. And if nobody came to church, I've got a responsibility to preach on the street, to preach in the markets, to preach from the rooftops. I've got to preach. But that's not all Paul did. Paul showed people what a Christian looked like what they lived like, what a Christian talked like. He showed people how to handle troubles, how to worship and praise God in the midst of pain and sorrow. Because biblical Christianity is something, not that you do inside a building. You don't do it privately. I remember knocking on a door one time in New Jersey. And as I asked this person, I knocked on the door and this woman opened the door and she said, yes. And I said, I'd like to ask you one question. Do you know where you're going when you die? She looked at me. She said, that's a very private issue. I said, well, you got to understand, it's, it, it's what Jesus died for publicly. And you're going to have to give an account to God in front of the whole world, whether you trust him or you're trusting your own good works. And I said, don't make it too private. You must be born again. She closed the door on me. But everybody wants to think that religion's private. Just do it in your own house or do it in your own building. Christianity is not something we do inside the building. It's what we do publicly, house to house. We do it everywhere. Paul was zealous. He lived openly. It's a shame that Christians over the past few decades have hidden their lifestyle. They're ashamed of it. I'm afraid this is how most modern Christians are about biblical preaching, about gathered together on church. I mean, we don't provide the entertainment. Some churches do, but not us. We don't, we don't make everybody feel good. We're just family. And some people are like, boy, this isn't fun. What I did last night may be fun. That's what people think. And so they're ashamed. You must be careful because when you start living like that, 
and somebody accuses you of being a Christian and you're like, oh, no, I'm not a Christian like Peter said. You know what that means? The more the lights go out, the more the darkness takes over. And no wonder why all of the homosexuals go around and they promote themselves with pride parades. How come they get all the attention and they're out in your face? You know why? Because we got out. We pulled back. We became ashamed of real Bible preaching. We got ashamed of, of off-tone uh, off, uh, singing. We got ashamed that we couldn't keep up with all of the businesses and all of the world and all of Apple and, and Zuckerberg and Facebook and everything else like that. And so look who's taken over. Folks, when Paul got up to preach, he preached like he was a dying man preaching to dying men. Paul was so zealous as a Christian, he lived at full speed. I'll never forget, my wife and I went to go visit a missionary down in Austria. We landed in Munich, and I rented a BMW. I'd never driven a BMW before. This thing, we got on the Autobahn. So guess what I'm doing on the Autobahn? I'm opening it up, man, and I'm hitting 80. 90, 95, I hit 100 miles an hour and I took my phone out. I said, get a picture of this thing real quick. I'm traveling 101, 102, 103 miles an hour. That's the only time I've ever done something like that that I know of. Uh, well, go back before I got saved. We won't go there. But I flying down that road, open throttle. It was awesome. Dangerous. <laughs> you're, you're, you're very, especially as ill-equipped as I was, I pulled back on that going, 80, 85, the cars passed bus by us like we were standing still, even at 100 miles an hour. But as a Christian, I want to live full throttle. I want to let my speedometer max out as a Christian because that's how Paul lived. He was fanatical. And I've I seen him at the sports. I've seen him in Hollywood. I've seen him at rock concerts. I used to go to rock concerts. You know where I found myself? Standing right underneath the big, 400 watt RMS uh, speaker hanging up there in, in the air, posted up in the air. I'm listening to that thing and I'm closing my eyes as it's making me deaf and all the, the, the bodies and everybody jumping and dancing there at a rock concert. I remember the zeal and the passion and the intensity of that. And when I got saved, I remember my youth director said, whatever you used to do for the devil and with whatever energy you live for the devil, live it for Christ. We need some intensity today. You know, the creator of this universe stepped down into this world. He lived perfectly teaching the most amazing truths ever taught. He allowed politicians and the religious to beat him and crucify him on the cross, the most cruel instrument ever invented. And then just as he said, he got up out of that sealed tomb and he's alive forevermore. And the thing is, Jesus said, I want you to Paul. And Paul said, if you want me, then I want you. And off he went. He lived every day at full speed. Paul held nothing back. He didn't say, well, I'm afraid this might offend somebody. Well, I'm afraid I might, I might get thrown in jail again. He never worried about anything he did. He was perfectly confident of what he was doing was ministry. And what he was doing was the best. Sometimes you got to say uh, a rebuke because it's profitable. You don't constantly criticize. But sometimes you got to tell somebody you're lost, you're wicked. You need to be born again. You need to get right with God. And that's profitable. And Paul held nothing back. He had intensity. Um, uh, he wasn't worried about offending people. He just preached anyways. 
He, whether it was in the public square or whether it was in every house, he didn't seek the big conferences and the huge audiences like modern big name evangelists do. He spent his life feeding sheep, Christ's sheep. And he would go on for hours and hours. He didn't, he didn't mind the fact that people were going, uh, uh, <coughs> it's getting a little late, preacher. He one time preached so long, a guy fell out of a third floor window like working there, uh, fell out of a first floor or a second floor. I forget how high he fell. But this guy fell out of a third floor window because he went on preaching too long. Well, he went over and Paul had the gift. And so he raised him from the dead. And then he went on preaching all the way to the morning. And you know, it was amazing. He, it, uh, if it weren't for the fact he was catching a boat trip that very day, uh, he would have gone on and on. The fact is, he just lived and preached and did without holding back. And I'll tell you the reason why, because he had something to say. Now, maybe, maybe you don't have a thing to say. Maybe in your Christian life, you've got no testimony to show. Maybe you've been ashamed for too long. But Paul had something big to talk about. And he talked about it to everyone who would listen. It was called the gospel of the grace of God. Did you notice there at the end of verse 21? I'm sorry, where is it? Verse 24, sorry. Look at the end of that thing. This is the ministry which I've received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Now, that's the greatest news. That's the greatest hope. That's the greatest gift ever given to mankind. Gospel simply means good news. Grace simply means kindness. It's the kindness of God towards unworthy people, towards sinners. God has grace towards you. You ought to be dead. You and I ought to be in hell. But God in his kindness says, I'll give you another chance to get saved today. It's a gospel of the grace of God. Did you know it is more important for us to talk about, more important for us to listen to, the graces, the grace of God, than all the rumors of wars, I mean, right now over there in Iran, in Iran, or the news of famines, or of global pandemics. Everybody, you know, if I got together and I just mentioned COVID-19, it's 45 minutes, we don't just nonstop talking. But if we started talking about the gospel, how excited would you be? Paul couldn't wait to tell somebody about the good news. I believe that Paul would stand in the middle of a market it would shout out, good news. I have good news. The God of heaven and earth, the God you do not know, the God who made you, he has come to earth. He came as a man. He lived among us and he knew it and we knew it not. We killed him on a Roman cross. And then we buried him in a tomb thinking he was dead and gone. But three days later, ladies and gentlemen, just like he promised, he rose again. He walked out of that tomb. He's alive and sitting at the right hand of Almighty God in heaven right now. And he invites you and you and you into an everlasting, perfect and pure kingdom. His kingdom, the kingdom of God. But it's only for sinners who will repent of their sins and turn to God and just believe in the saving power of his son, Jesus. Will you now repent? Would you now believe with all your heart in Jesus? He loved preaching like that. I can just see him. I can just see him. You imagine, you imagine if, if uh, you had the real courage when everybody else is talking about filth and wickedness from the weekend and you uh, stood up. I remember a, a man named Christmas Evans. Uh, he's called Christmas Evans because he was born on Christmas morning. And so his mom couldn't think of anything else to call him. 
and called him Christmas. He's a drunkard. And uh, when Christmas Evans got born again at a meeting there, he, he uh, uh, had a um, uh, gospel meeting going on down the street from the saloon. He went down in there and he heard the gospel preached and it just hit him right between the eyes and it humbled him. And he went down the forward. He had a bottle in his hand. He went down to the forward uh, of that church and put that bottle down. And he said to that preacher, he says, what do I do to get born again? That preacher got on his knees with him, took him through the scriptures. Christmas Evans got born again, bawling like a, like a baby, crying out to God to save a wretch like him. And then he got up and he says, what do I do, preacher? And the preacher says, go tell somebody what just happened to you and tell them how it happened and what Jesus did for him. He walked back to the saloon. He stood on top of one of the tables. He says, anybody want to take me on? <laughs> like it was a fight. One of the biggest guys stood up and came up to him and he got down off the table and he says, I want to tell you about the one who just conquered my soul. And he gave him the gospel right in the middle of a saloon. Now we're going back 150 years, but that's courage. That's called living with intensity, amen? Be kind of cool if that happened in your school. There are two great needs of people everywhere. Two great needs, only two. They're not air and water, okay? Look back there in verse uh, uh, 21 testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks. Number one, repentance toward God. And secondly, faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the two things that every person on this planet needs to know about and understand. These two things are not the same. Repentance is an attitude of sorrow about your sin. It's, it's, it's you know, I'm ashamed. Faith is a belief and a trust in the power of Jesus Christ to save you and keep you all the way to heaven. And it's a faith you're willing to, to say, I, I, whatever he tells me I can do and I will do because I trust him. So like I say, repentance is an attitude and it always precedes faith. Now, some people at the same time, they're sorry and they're believing, amen. But you must have both. You've got to have both. Faith is what you believe. You believe Jesus died for sinners. You need to believe that Jesus died for you. And you're willing to say, you know, if he died for me and was buried and rose again, and he asked me to follow him, I will. I just don't believe it happened. I believe it happened for me and it happened for a purpose, so I live differently. That's faith. Faith is what you believe enough to obey it and live by it. So if you want to begin the Christian life and finish it well, have both attitudes constantly. Uh, have the attitude that, that you're quick to admit wrong and repent. Have an attitude that decides always to believe God over your feelings and over the news. I bet some of you have been watching the news again all this week long, and it's like pulling you off of flypaper, like pulling you out of cement, trying to get you to look into the book of God and have some hope, have some joy, have some, some uh, faith again. Uh, you know, you can't have one without the other, repentance without faith or faith without repentance. Uh, the devils believe and they're going straight to hell. You know that, don't you? The Bible says in James chapter uh, 2, don't you know the devils believe? Well, <laughs> they believe, but that doesn't do them any good. Most Catholics I know used to have deep issues of repentance and contrition. Had, had, had deep repentance, but they had no faith in Jesus Christ. They were trusting Mary. They were trusting their priests or their bishop. 
So they were just as lost as the devil. And most Christians I meet today claim to have all this faith, but they never break down in sorrow for how they're living. They never worry about the things they're watching. They never are embarrassed or ashamed of the friends that they're following. And they never actually obey the Bible over their, uh, over their family or over their friends. So Christian, let me encourage you. Let's hold back nothing except our hatred. And I'm serious. We ought to hold back nothing when it comes to our soul winning. You meet somebody and uh, maybe they're, they're a little intimidating. Give them the gospel anyway. Hand them a gospel try. Say, well, I don't feel like it. Overcome. In our, in our soul winning, we ought to be the most excited. If somebody sees that you're not excited about, your, about what you're talking about, then they're not going to listen to you. Have some intensity. Uh, have courage. Uh, in our, listen, tell people that God so loved them that he died for them. And he's asking them to just trust him enough to follow him and live for him. Tell about God's grace because God's, God's patience is about to run out. Um, uh, folks, start telling people the gospel as it really is. Tell them the bad news and the good news together. You'll find yourself, if you do that, you'll find yourself more excited about the Christian life than you have been in years. In our soul, when we need some intensity in our praise and worship. You know what I miss? I miss a kind of church service where people sing like, like they don't care that anybody hears them. They just want to sing. They just want God to hear them. I, I, I want our church to have intensity so that if something is right, that somebody says, amen, that's okay. That's a good thing. Say, well, I can't do it. Well, okay, fine. I want to. How about our praise and our worship? It ought, to be, it ought to be something where we love to love God. I mean, we passionately love it. How about in our homes? You know, when I was growing up, I don't remember my dad ever holding my mom's hand. I never saw my grandparents ever holding hands. Your kids need to see you holding hands. Your kids need to see daddy all over mama with wet kisses, just love you, love you, love you. They need that because they're watching it on the TV. They're watching it on the internet, and they're wondering, is it real at home? Our homes ought to have some intensity. We're too prone to have the intensity of arguments and no intensity of love. Our homes ought to be a place where they, we hold nothing back. You ought to pick up your kids, swing them around, hold them, hug them, call them the best thing in the world in your life. They ought to be blessed by your presence. How about in our fun? Do you ever have just fun? Or are you a sourpuss all day, every day? I mean, yeah, I've been with some people. Don't uh, There are some people I would never play Monopoly with because, I mean, they are intense. <laughs> it is like real to them, but that's how they are. And, you know, when you're having fun, have fun, will you? Don't hold back. Don't sit there, well, I don't know if I like this. Like it. It may not be the most fun you have, but listen, as Christians, if you want to be a finisher, you can't be sour. You will quit. You will take the wrong turn. You'll go the wrong direction unless you just have some joy. I'll talk about that in our reading, our study of the Bible. You know, this book you have here is filled with treasure. There is more on psychology in this book than 1,000 professors could ever teach. There's, there's stuff in there about science, uh, about prophecy. It ought to blow our minds. We ought to 
passionately, intensely study and love the word of God because it's the mind of God. We're learning and, and sensing the heart of God. How can you not enjoy it? And what about just serving one another? I mean, if your parents have to drag you to church, if your wife has to drag you to take the rubbish out and to serve, or if, if, if you don't just naturally serve, shame on you because it's a Christian characteristic that, what can I do? How do I bless? We may, we're all busy, but let's make time to serve one another. Serve. That, and, and serve with passion. Serve with energy. Because Jesus is watching. He notices. Because there's great reward. Um, now, two more. One more ingredient. Acts 20, 24. I just want to touch on this. And I got to finish today because next week will be the, the capstone of this thing. One more thought looking at the life of Paul, verse 24. I want you to see two words that jump out at this thing. Verse 24 says, But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course. The next two words, circle those two words, with joy. I kind of hinted at it there. But let me ask you, what has happened to Christian joy? I read my Bible and I watch the life of Paul. Do you know what? I don't find much discouragement in him. I know he gets discouraged. He talks about it. But I don't see much. You find in the Bible, it says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, but he was not a sorrowful man. He was acquainted with it, but I don't find him discouraged. I don't find him down. There's just something about Jesus that attracted children. And you know, sour pusses don't attract children. They kick them. You've got to have an attitude about you so people feel safe with you. And it's called joy. Um, uh, even after, and this is the truth, even after so much trouble, he was publicly whipped and abused at Philippi. He was thrown into the deepest prison hole there. You know what Paul did? He stayed happy. Go to Acts chapter 16. Go back a few pages there. Acts 16 and verse 22. Paul stayed happy. And I, 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 I hope you remember what happened when he was sitting in that prison cell with Silas. What was he doing? Acts 16 in verse 22. And the multitude rose up again together against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates rent off their clothes. They stripped them bare, and they commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison. So what's on their back? Whelps. They've been whipped. When they laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received a charge, thrust them. I mean, he actually physically threw them into the inner prison, and he made their feet fast in the stocks. They didn't even have the freedom to move around inside that cell, verse 23, sorry, verse 25. And at midnight, at the worst time of the day, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Isn't that awesome? Now, I'm going to give you three challenges, okay? All right, let me go back here. That's, that'll hold that for a thought there, just a second. going to give you three challenges. Don't take everything so seriously. Laugh a lot. Don't take everything so seriously. Laugh at yourself. I find that most people don't laugh at themselves very much. Therefore, when life turns sour, they want to quit. Don't do that. Just laugh it off. Just say, well, that's, that's, that's 2020 for you. 
uh, do things that make other people laugh. Now, Eric's, he tries really hard, but, uh, and, and we do laugh, but be fun to be around. Keep your joy fresh and full. I think a person's joy is just as important as keeping your belly full. Uh, you don't go very long without putting food in your belly. You need to be working at keeping your joy full. We ought to be a joyful people, not just when we're around other people, but all the time. Enjoy God. Enjoy your time with God. I can tell if you haven't been spending any time with God, your joy is at zero. Bible says that he is your joy. You'll find yourself, if you, if you don't take everything so seriously and so bad, you'll actually be a finisher. Secondly, don't let the world, oh, I want to give you, talk about jokes. Huh. This morning I saw a neighbor talking to her cat. It was obvious she thought her cat understood her. Well, I came to my house and I told my dog and we laughed and laughed a lot. <laughs> That's a good joke. Man comes into his house and he's whispering and his wife says, why are you whispering? Because I'm afraid Mark Zuckerberg is, is, is monitoring us. My wife laughed. Eh, I ended up laughing. Then Alexa laughed and then Siri laughed. <clears throat> Have a laugh. Have a laugh, folks. Don't take everything so seriously. It ought to be our joy to be a blessing to others. Do your children feel blessed around you or do you feel like, I got to get out of here. This person's pulling me down. I watch, I watch people uh, addicted to some of the filthiest comedies. You know what they're searching for? Something to make them laugh. They're looking in the wrong place. There ought to be a great joy to be around other Christians. And, and it's not that you tell uh, jokes constantly. I don't like telling jokes. Eric says, I can't tell jokes as is proven here. He's laughing quite seriously right now. But I don't take it serious. He can laugh at me all day long, as long as I get him to laugh, amen? But secondly, don't let anything rob you of one second of your joy. If the devil does anything in your life, he robs of joy. He's a thief and a robber. And if he can sap your joy from you, he'll get you to quit. I mean, it ought to be a joy to serve. It ought to be a joy to be at church. It ought to be a joy just to be alive. Somebody I know in the States, he's a very well-known uh, talk show host, found out he had stage four lung cancer just this last, uh, like, eight, nine months ago. Uh, it, it made him very serious about getting right with God and on the radio. I mean, he's a political talk show host, and he honors Jesus Christ. And he says, I don't care what anybody thinks. Now, you know what he says every morning he wakes up and he says, Woo, I'm alive! You know, we ought to do that before we find out we have stage four cancer. Don't let the devil rob you of one second of your joy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And then thirdly, do. Do think about all the good that God has given you. I mean, in America, this is Thanksgiving. This is the time where you start listing all the things you're thankful for. Don't wait till a holiday. We don't have that holiday here in Ireland. But don't wait for a national holiday to be set up before you start thanking God for everything. Every good and every perfect gift didn't come naturally. It came from above. So think about all that God has given you, and it'll make you smile. Not about all the money you got, because you probably don't have any like me or popularity. But how about just being a child of God, born again, forgiven, pardoned, every sin, past, present, future. Gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. 
Enjoy the gifts God has showered over your life. I mean, look at your family. As messed up as they may be, you need to thank God for them. You need to enjoy them. Your health. How about the fact that you have a mansion with your name on it? I know a lot of houses have the names of, you know, uh, on them of something, you know, they call their house Shalom or they call their house something this or my mansion has my name on it. It's waiting for me there. I get excited about it. You know, um, uh, I enjoy the Bible. I enjoy the truths that are 4,000 years old, and yet psychologists, psychiatrists, and scientists still haven't caught up with it. I enjoy the quiet presence of the Holy Spirit of God. I enjoy just being quiet, raising my hands and just saying, thank you, Lord, for being with me. Thank you that I get to sing and I get to sense your presence. Enjoy your Christian home. I already said this, but no matter how messed up it is, maybe it needs to be said twice, enjoy your home. Wake up in the morning, grab those grids, grab your husband, swing him around. You say, he weighs a ton. I don't care. Try and be a blessing. Be excited about what God has given you. And enjoy, enjoy, enjoy winning a soul to Christ. Think about all that God has given you. Think about that person you led to Christ. I don't care how long ago it was. Remember how good it felt. And then just don't quit. There is joy in staying to the end. Because if you want to enjoy, if you want to finish well, you need to see things that you're going through in the light of eternity. What does that mean? It means see things from God's perspective. It's only but a vapor. It's only but a moment. It's only for a season, Solomon says. Probably the greatest joy the Christian could ever have will be the joy of finishing well. I believe that with my heart, and that's why I've dedicated this whole month to making sure you want to finish well. Here's a conclusion. In spite of everything that was against him, Paul finished very well. Wouldn't you like to finish? Ladies and gentlemen, finishing well is everything. It's worth more than life to the Christian. Paul, Paul's decided, he said, I don't count my life dear to myself. Why? Because I want to finish. And if I burn myself out finishing, finishing is more important than my life. I don't want to hurt anybody else, but I will wear myself out so that I finish my course. That's Paul. Intensity there is more important. He got saved in Acts chapter 9, and he said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And ever since then, he did it, and he did it with intensity. He did it, and he never, ever stopped. So, but it takes a new way of thinking, and I've given you six things. I got one more for you next week. I told you that you need to have some consistency. Develop some right habits. You need to have a ministry. When we open up in church, I want to have 50 people showing up saying, what can I do? I like to have that problem. I may not be able to give one-tenth of you uh, something to do, but I'd like to help as many as I can find something to do for the Lord. You may not be doing inside the building. You may be going out soul winning on a Saturday. Anything. Find a ministry. Humility. You say, well, pastor, I thought I could preach, and I ask you to clean toilets. Uh, have humility. You know, if you have to have your way, you won't, quit. You won't finish. You won't finish anything. Do whatever God asks you to do. Say, well, I'm not qualified to, to teach. None of us are. We just dived in. <laughs> the kids didn't know any better. They just, they just wanted to hear from Jesus. Humble yourself. Have tenderness. Dial down all that pride, that arrogance, and have a heart. And allow people to hurt you. Number five, hold nothing back. 
These are the ingredients. If you put them in your life, put back in intensity. When you read the Bible, I get, I got to be really, I'm going to embarrass some of you right now. But if I ask a young man to read and I ask a young lady to read in this day and age, the man sounds like a mouse and the woman's louder than, uh, than, than can be. Come on, men, stand up, be heard. When you're reading the word of God, be intense. If you ever got to stand behind this pulpit and give your testimony, it ought to be the greatest day of your life talking about what Jesus has done for you. Hold nothing back. Number six, enjoyment. And don't lose your joy. Full, full joy is our goal. Jesus said, I give you my joy that your joy would be full. That's what he wants. I got one more ingredient. I'll tell you about that next week. But before that, I got to ask you this. Today's a good day for you to start the Christian life. Have you started it? Have you started it? You can start all over right now. Dear friend, right where you're at, you can bow your head and you can cry out to Jesus Christ. He's, he's not busy. He's not out in some galaxy somewhere uh, off, unable to hear you. If you will humble yourself and you will look at yourself and your sin as something you're ashamed of. You know, if you'll look down, you then can look up. If you come to God and try to negotiate, he will not hear you. But if you lower your expectations to the point where you say, I have nothing to offer. I can do nothing to, to do right. All of my life's like a pile of dung. And I look down and I humble myself like the publican there in the temple, beating on his chest saying, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus said, that man was heard. And in that repentant attitude, he was able to trust a holy God and a living God and a saving God to save him. Would you do that? Would you bow your head right now? I'm going to pray with you. Father, I pray for the person who's listened to this and who's never been born again. They've been religious. I don't know, maybe baptized. But they never confessed that they were a sinner. They never repented. They never looked at their life and said, I am a mess. They know it, but they won't admit it. Lord, then right now, God, help them to admit it and then look to you with all their heart. Once they've repented towards you, God, they can look to Jesus and say, have mercy on me and save me. Forty years ago, that's the crux of the prayer I prayed. I didn't know any fancy prayer to pray. I never learned to pray, but I was told I could cry out to God's son. I was told I could call your son. I could ask him to save me, and he would. And I did not want to go to hell. I knew I was lost. I knew I was a sinner. So I asked, and I trusted Jesus Christ. That moment, I knew that I knew that I knew my sins were gone. I remember getting up off of the, I got on the ground there on my knees, Lord. And you remember, I got up, and I was just, there was, there was joy. There was thrill. There was, it's done. It's finished. God, would that be true in somebody's life this morning? And every Christian needs to go, you know what? I never want to get over that. I want to, whenever I'm wrong, I want to humble myself and repent and get right. And I want to live a life of faith, willing to do whatever God asks me to do. Because I want to please you. I want to finish my course. So, Lord, bless us as we finish up this service now. In Jesus' name, amen.